Who Rules the World? A new podcast by European Union youth delegates Lucia and Nadia on SoundCloud and other platforms. I am Lucia. And I'm Nadia. In Who Rules the World podcast, we will talk about the European Union and United Nations and all the burning world issues that our generation will have to face when our time comes to rule the world. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Who Rules the World podcast. Today, we're here at COP15 in Montreal, where we're having a special episode where we're talking about how to ensure that the global goals at COP15 actually makes an impact locally. And with me today, I have our guest, Olivia Adiampo, who's from Kenya, and I'm really excited to have her with us today and to really discuss how we can actually make these ambitious goals that are hopefully being uh, agreed on here in Montreal to actually make a change out in, in people's everyday life. But Olivia, would you please introduce yourself? Thank you very much, Nadia. Uh, you've rightly said my name is Olivia Adiambo. I'm a biodiversity and climate change policy expert. I live in Nairobi, in Kenya. Uh, my work has been around uh, climate and biodiversity policy in relation to Africa. Um, worked with different NGOs over the last 10 years, and I'm happy to be here with you today. Thank you so much, and, and really excited to have you here today. Uh, so today we'll talk about the synergies between climate and biodiversity, uh, which is also some of the topics that are discussed here at this COP15. Then afterwards, we'll talk a bit about implementation and hopefully a bit about the right uh, to the clean environment and access to, to biodiversity. But before diving into to all of those topics, uh, Olivia, would you please say a bit, you know, how has it been for you being at, at this conference? I guess it's quite overwhelming, at least for me. Um, it has been a roller coaster. So uh, the conference started with the open-ended working group five which was a continuation from a similar meeting that was held in Nairobi, looking at the draft text of the biodiversity framework. And I had a lot of optimism about uh, this uh, open-ended working group, uh, but I think the discussions have moved on quite slowly, so it has made it a bit frustrating. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it's exciting to see the ideas that are being brought on board by different stakeholders. And I'm optimistic that uh, at the end of uh, the week, at the end of next week, we will be able to have a strong biodiversity framework for the world. Mm. I hope that too. Uh, and, and I really agree with your point about it being a roller coaster. It really feels like, you know, one step ahead and then something happens where you're like, oh my God, that was just not what we needed. Um, but, but you know, this, this conference, uh, COP15, is taking place right uh, after the COP27, which is the climate conference. Um, and, and the climate conference got a lot more attention and there was a lot more focus from the global world, uh, which I think is a shame that there is not more focus on, on this conference. Also because, uh, you know, we won't be able to solve one of the conferences or one of the crises without also solving each other, the other one. But can you maybe elaborate a bit uh, on how you see the synergies between the two fields, uh, biodiversity and climate? Um, Nadia, biodiversity offers multiple solutions to climate and I think global attention should be on this conference uh, because when you talk about nature-based solutions, when you talk about ecosystem-based approaches, they are simply saying how nature can help to address climate impact. 
through uh, reforestation programs and through management of our natural spaces. Uh, in a similar vein, climate change is having a very huge impact on biodiversity. Uh, the erratic weather patterns are uh, impacting on natural uh, species, on natural spaces, and they are changing these spaces in a way that we had never imagined before. So I look at it, in, if I could rank the two, I would say uh, biodiversity is the most important and that is where the world's attention to be, it should be at because it provides potential and tangible solutions to climate change. That makes sense. Uh, and, and I already talked a bit about how COP15 is also trying to address uh, the climate crisis as well. Uh, can you maybe elaborate a bit on how the global biodiversity framework, which is discussed here today, uh, is actually trying to, to tackle this? Yes, I will mention uh, a few targets that are in the biodiversity framework. Uh, I will mention target one, two and three which are about uh, natural spaces. So in target three, we have uh, an ambitious target on increasing natural spaces by up to 30% globally. That is in, in land and in uh, uh, marine spaces. And if we are able to achieve this, then it means that we will be able to reduce uh, the greenhouse gas emissions that are causing climate change. I will also talk about uh, the target on uh, sustainable production and consumption. You'll forgive me that I, I still don't know them offhand, but it should be target nine, or, nine or, or 10. So if we are able to fully implement the target on uh, sustainable production and consumption and reduce our, our production patterns and our consumption patterns, then this will also reduce the amount of emissions that we are releasing that is causing climate change. Uh, we also have a target 22 on indigenous, uh, on uh, not just indigenous, but on the rights of, of girls and women. And this target really talks about how do we involve girls and women in, in management of natural resources. And if you're able to also implement this, I believe that uh, the inherent uh, responsibility of women and girls <coughs> in managing our natural spaces will contribute to addressing climate change as well. So just those are just three of the many uh, opportunities that the Global Biodiversity Framework offers to address uh, climate, climate change. Thank you so much for your interesting answer. Uh, and, and can you maybe elaborate a bit about the, the point about women's and girls' role in, in implementation? Because it's, it's really true that it's key to, to get especially women and girls on board. Uh, but, but why does especially these girls uh, play a, a vital role in, in implementing this? Um, as an African, I, I believe that uh, women are at the forefront of management of uh, natural spaces or our biodiversity. Growing up as a young girl, I saw my mother uh, fetching fuel wood for cooking, fetching water, managing uh, our crop crops, and taking care of our, our gardens and taking care of our forests. And I believe that is, is the practice the world over. Women are, have always been at the forefront 
in managing natural uh, spaces and natural resources. However, they have not been at the forefront of making decisions as to how these natural resources are managed. The Global Biodiversity Framework is proposing to have women and girls at the forefront of managing these spaces, of managing these resources because of their inherent uh, nature of, 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 uh, of managing uh, nature. If this uh, target is to be fully implemented, we will have uh, diverse voices and uh, we will have very uh, concrete ideas and solutions coming from women and girls on how nature should be managed. Mm. Thank you so much. Really interesting. And I know you've also worked with, with young people and you're mentioning both women and girls. Uh, can you maybe elaborate a bit on, on that as well in regards to, to how we can have a more potentially in inclusive uh, approach to, to involving uh, young people here at, at COP? Um, at this COP, I've seen very, very many young people involved through their constituencies. Uh, the Youth Global uh, Biodiversity Network is one of the examples that I, I have seen. And they have brought in very different dynamics, very uh, new ideas into the discussions that are quite impressive. And I think by creating spaces and enabling uh, their voice, the voice of the youth to be heard in these processes, then we stand a chance of having new ideas. We stand a chance of having robust plans put in place to address the threats that nature is facing. I would like to say that uh, as leaders, we should encourage young people. We should create a table and bring young people into the table where they're able to air their views in a creative way, in a, in a, in a way that enables them to speak authentically to the issues and to the solutions. Thank you so much for your interesting answer. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've already talked a bit about implementation and the fact that it's really important that this is not only words that, but actually something that makes a change in, in the real world. Mm -hmm. And the reason why this is a, a theme that is especially interesting for, for me is because a lot of young people like myself, we are frustrated about the last target. Uh, which is the Aichi goals, which was the last big nature goals uh, where they're really ambitious in many ways, um, but where the world totally failed on actually delivering and implementing the goals. And, and a lot of us as young people are afraid that these goals of, of this conference will end up as the large uh, important goals. And, and the thing with this is, is that it's goals that, that are being implemented every 10 years. So it's not really something where if we, if we have some goals here where we're not talking about implementations, then uh, there is quite a lot of time until we can actually get to, to update them in, in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. But uh, can, can you maybe elaborate a bit on what we can do to avoid that the goals of this conference end up like the last goals, uh, which is the goals named as IT goals? Thank you, Nadia. I think uh, you've mentioned uh, quite a bit of what I want to speak to. I think it is not just enough to have a plan in place, but you have to have a means of implementing that plan. So means of implementing that plan includes uh, the finances needed to implement it. It includes uh, monitoring and reviewing the progress. It includes also having indicators like re um, 
red lights where you're able to see, uh, let me call them traffic lights. You need to have traffic lights where you're able to, to see whether you're on the right track, whether you're moving at the right pace and in the right direction. Uh, in the next coming days, the negotiations are going to focus on the means of implementation through resource mobilization, uh, financing, and through uh, a monitoring framework. And I believe this is the most important part that Aichi was never able to achieve. And we have a new opportunity to achieve this. So I would urge everyone listening to this to get in touch with their leaders and to speak boldly about not only just having a global biodiversity framework, but having one that is implementable, that is actionable through a means of implementation. Thank you so much. And, and really interesting. And I think that it's a shame that we're not talking more about implementation also back in, in people's home country. It, it may be less interesting to talk about implementation, but that is really what, what makes the change out in the real world. So something else that, that I think is, is really interesting when it comes to, to the environment and, and biodiversity is actually having the right to it. And there are a lot of discussions about you know, having a rights-based approach to, to biodiversity. And, and recently, the UN also adopted a resolutions about the access to a clean environment mm -hmm. uh, and, and access to, to biodiversity. Uh, can you maybe elaborate a bit on how we can potentially see access to biodiversity as a right uh, and how that could potentially also make a change for people? Yes, I think this will be actualized now with country actions. I think countries now need to legislate the right to a, a clean and healthy environment through, uh, for example, in Kenya, we have, we have this embedded in our constitution every Kenyan citizen has a right to a clean and healthy environment and this means right to access clean water, clean air, right to live in a, an, an environment that is conducive uh, for our growth and development. And I am uh, excited to see how uh, parties will translate this or countries will translate this into national action because a lot of times these kind of declarations are left hanging at the international level without national action. The global biodiversity framework is one of the ways to enforce uh, the right to a clean and healthy environment. If you're able to implement the targets within the framework, then all uh, citizens of the world will be able to access this right. Mm. So just out of curiosity, uh, what do you think would happen if someone actually breaks the right do you think that we would see a lot of lawsuits or, you know, do you have any ideas of how, what could actually be, be the case concretely? Um, I, think, I think we are going to be seeing a lot of lawsuits in the coming uh, years. I think people are beginning to recognize the inherent or the interlinkage between the right, these rights and their human rights. So in the coming years, and I'm hoping that this comes from the young people, we'll see a lot of lawsuits about this right being violated. And we also see a lot of action because it's not all gloom and doom. There are countries that are very serious to, to implement this. So we'll see also a lot of good examples where this right is being upheld by countries. Mm. I think this is really an, an interesting perspective also because uh, here at this conference we often talk about uh, protecting potentially 30% of land and, and sea, um, but having a right like this is really something that could potentially also go beyond that. And I think that is something that is, is quite interesting because 
uh, we need to also consider the uh, rest of the areas who are not getting protected and not only the 30% that we are hoping that this conference will actually adopt. Uh, can you maybe uh, elaborate a bit more on what we can do to, to keep remembering and ensuring that uh, we are also having the potentially 70%, which is the rest of the areas, not uh, protected, mm -hmm. how we can have that in mind and ensure that uh, those areas are not forget forgotten. Yeah. Um, Nadia, I'm tempted to use this phrase that all natural spaces matter. And indeed, uh, the global biodiversity framework is pushing for 30% increase, but that is at the bare minimum. Uh, so we are, we as, as environmentalists are seeing that as the bare minimum and we should push for even more and we should consider all spaces as potentially uh, important for biodiversity and for nature. And I would also want to say that uh, the target, although it focuses on increasing areas, there is also need to uh, look at effectiveness of the existing areas. How effectively are we managing the existing natural spaces and then move on to expand more natural spaces? So the 30% is a bare minimum. Let's strive for even higher in, in areas where we can do that. But even as we expand the spaces, let us also emphasize on effectiveness of uh, management of the existing natural species. Thank you so much. And I think that is really a, a good way of rounding up that we need to keep pushing for higher ambitions and that we won't even be able to just say, okay, then we're potentially lucky and get the 30%. That is not enough. We need to go so much beyond that and protect many more areas and also do that in collaboration with local communities and women and girls and young people to ensure that the goals of this conference is actually being a reality. Thank you so much, Olivia. I'm truly honored of having you uh, with us today, uh, and I hope that you will have a great conference after this. Thank you so much, Nadia, and I am glad to be part of this. I just want to urge all our listeners that once the framework has been adopted, please look at whichever area you want to passionately push for, whichever targets you want to passionately push in your country and make sure that it is implemented. Thank you. Thank you so much. And good to end up with a call to action because yeah. a lot of us young people, we would listen to something and be frustrated about not being able to, to act. So, so having that call to action about push nationally is, is really good. Thank you so much. Bye. This was Who Rules the World podcast by European Union Youth Delegates, Lucia and Nadia. WRW coming soon with the next episode on SoundCloud and other platforms.